Happy Easter to each one of you, those who have joined us online as well as those here in this in-person service. So this weekend, more than two billion people around the world are gathering together much like we have today in order to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two billion. It is the greatest celebration throughout history. And of course, if it's true, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, it's certainly the greatest news to ever hit the planet. Just think of what some of the implications of a risen Jesus could mean for you. Look at this chart. First of all, it means that all of the claims that Jesus ever made are true. So on one occasion, Jesus made the claim that he was the bread of life, the only one who can satisfy the deep inner emptiness and hunger of your heart. We're not gonna find Jesus is saying satisfaction in life through material gain or pleasure or travel or success in our employment, relationships, whatever. Ultimately, we can only find true inner satisfaction in him. And then on another occasion, Jesus said that he was the, the light of the world, the only one who can really give us meaning and direction and purpose in life. So if you're here today as one who's looking for meaning, direction, and purpose in life, Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm the one who can provide you with all of those things. And then on another occasion, he said that he was the only way to God, indicating that he's not one of many ways, just sort of take your pick, he's the only way. So if we want a relationship with God, Jesus said we're gonna to have to come through him. All of these and other claims that Jesus made would be true if in fact Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But that's just the beginning of implications for you and me. Secondly, it would mean that the sacrifice of Christ was accepted. Now the Bible tells us that God sent Jesus in a into the world on a mission of death in order to be our substitute, to die in our place. So if Jesus is alive, his sacrifice has been accepted, Jesus has been vindicated, and it means that you and I can be forgiven and we can stand in a proper, reconciled relationship with the living God. All of that is true if Jesus is raised from the dead. And then thirdly, we can say this, that new life is possible in the present. You know, I talk to people often who tell me that life for them feels very much like it's out of control. You ever feel that way? They'll say things like, Rich, you know, my life, I'm just feeling powerless to deal with the mess I'm in, to break some addiction or to heal a relationship that matters a great deal to me. Jesus is saying that he can provide each one of us with a power that enables us to deal with the broken things of life. A power that can enable us to live in integrity and purity and to love others. All of that is true if Jesus Christ is alive today. And then one more, Jesus promised that one day he would raise us up and absolutely transform the brokenness of our world today. Think of it, no more gang violence, no more shootings in our schools, no earthquakes or tornadoes to ruin a complete community, no disease, 
no disability, no death, no decay. All of that would be true if Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. So was he? Is it true? Can we know? Well, in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, the apostle gives us in this passage a great deal of evidence for a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I want to share with you very briefly some of the touching points that John gives us as evidence, but then highlight the major part of it, which is found in the rest of the passage. So in the very beginning, the very first verse, John tells us that the large stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb had been removed. Now that in and of itself certainly does not prove resurrection. But it indicates something happened, especially when you realize that the entire tomb had been sealed according to Roman law, which means that they would have taken a string, stretched it across that large stone that sealed the entrance, attaching the string to the two side walls by means of clay. Somebody would have taken the signet ring of the emperor, pressed that into the clay. So if anybody tried to tamper with the tomb, they would have broken the string and would have incurred the punishment of the entire Roman world. Not a very good thing to choose to do. But the stone had been removed. How did we explain that? And then John goes on to say in the second and the third verses that the tomb was empty. Two of Jesus' followers, Peter and John, show up early on Easter Sunday morning. They look inside and guess what? There's no body there. Well, if stolen, if the body was stolen by Jewish or Roman authorities, all they had to do was produce it and Christianity would have died in its tracks. They couldn't produce it because they didn't have it. And if friends of Jesus, perhaps his disciples, decided to take the body, one wonders why later on they were willing to die for their belief in a resurrection. Sometimes people will choose to die for all kinds of reasons that we think are kind of strange. Principle or some value or some religious cause. But no one in his or her right mind is gonna die for what they know to be a lie. And these disciples gave their lives, not for a principle or a cause or some religious concern, but out of the belief that they had in fact seen the living Christ of God. So, the stone was removed, the tomb was empty, and then in verses 4 and 5, just to quickly mention this as well, John indicates to us that the grave wrappings about the body of Jesus had been left behind completely undisturbed. Now, we know from the end of John chapter 19 that Jesus' body was prepared for burial according to typical Jewish custom. It would have been wrapped in strips of linen with a separate wrapping turban style about his head, and then the body with those wrappings would have been placed on a stone slab inside the tomb. So Peter and John show up, they look inside, and what do they see? Well, if somebody had taken the body of Jesus, you've got a couple of possibilities. One is that they're gonna take the wrappings along with the body, so nothing is left in the tomb, or Maybe they'll unwrap the body and leave those wrappings in a heap on the floor. That's not what they saw. What they saw was that the, the wrappings were still on that slab in the identical places they were when they 
were wrapped around the body of Jesus, left behind, completely undisturbed, as if the body of Jesus had simply passed through those grave wrappings. So the undisturbed condition of the grave wrappings is further evidence something happened. What in the world could it be? Well, in the verses now we're going to focus on, John gives us the knockout punch, the irrefutable evidence of Jesus' physical, personal appearances to his followers and their transformed lives. If we were to put together all of the various uh, times that Jesus made appearances, we would discover, according to the Bible, there were 10 separate appearances over a 40-day period, once to like 500 people. The Apostle Paul tells us that back in the day, if we had lived, we could have gone to these 500 people, interviewed them to find out their stories for collaboration. So all of these different appearances of Jesus indicating that these could not possibly be inventions or hallucinations. An individual may have an hallucination time, a type of experience where they see like elephants on the walls, but it's not a group thing. And Jesus, as I mentioned, appeared in a variety of settings indicating no inventions or hallucinations. Okay, out of all of these appearances, John here mentions three. And in each case, these appearances are accomplishing two very important purposes. Number one, they're giving verification to the claim of resurrection. But in addition to that, each one finds Jesus delivering a very personal, practical message that I think can be reduced to two word sound bites. I believe that these appearances and messages of Jesus are as much needed today as they were back in the day that Jesus spoke them. And so I want us to look today at these three appearances of Jesus and the message that he gave to provide encouragement and hope to the people. So what are they? Well, the first appearance of Jesus is to Mary Magdalene, and I've summarized Jesus' message with these words, trust me, trust me. Now here's the situation, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now we don't know a lot about this woman, Mary. We know that she came from a village on the western side of a very large lake, northern Israel, called the Sea of Galilee. The name of the village was Magdala, so she's called Mary Magdalene. It's not her last name, that's her village. Additionally, we know from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, that Jesus had radically transformed her life. Mary, along with a few other women, were at the site of crucifixion that Friday to see Jesus in this humiliating state, and eventually he dies. So that's the last that she remembers Jesus. So now she comes with a group of women, Easter Sunday morning, to perform some last rites on the body of Jesus. So with that in mind, picking up the story, this is what we read in verses 11 and 12. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. 
She doesn't go wow angels. I'm always wondering about that. You know, why doesn't she say something like wow angels? Maybe because the gospel elsewhere tells us that they showed up as, dressed like uh, two young men. But at any rate, they ask her this question, woman, why are you crying? They, whoever they would be, have taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they have put him. She's lonely, she's depressed, she's hurting, and Jesus, who in the world knows what's happened to him? Probably somebody took him, maybe a kidnapping deal. What other explanation could there possibly be? So now we come to the appearance. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Well, why not? Remember, she's been crying. In fact, the original indicates constant, unrestrained sobbing. This woman is an emotional wreck. That could explain why she doesn't recognize Jesus or Let's face it, Jesus is the last person she expected to see, right? I mean, that for her wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. But you know, you and I often make the same mistake. We don't always expect to find Jesus in our painful times either, do we? That's the reality of things. Or perhaps, you know, there was enough of a difference about the body of Jesus since the last time she saw him, he's up on this cross in a state of death, a bloody mess. Enough of a change that, he, that she would not recognize him apart from him revealing himself to her. But whatever the explanation, this is what we read. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, I mean, who else could it be but the gardener, right? It's a garden tomb setting. It's early in the morning. Maybe it's the gardener who had showed up to do his thing. She says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Now look at what happens. Jesus said to her, calls out to her by name, Mary. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means, John tells us, teacher. Now notice his statement. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary, a whole new relationship is about to be established. Mary, I'm going back home. My mission on earth has been accomplished. I have died for human sin. I'm going back to the Father. Mary, your relationship to me has got to be now one of faith and not sight. You're going to have to learn, Mary, to trust me in the tough times of life. So here she is clinging to him, and in effect, Jesus says, trust me. And I think if the truth were known, a lot of us today feel a whole lot like Mary. Maybe you've come to the service today and you're hurting too. You're disappointed by something going on in your life. You're discouraged. You're heavy-hearted, grief-stricken. I don't know what it could be. Maybe, maybe it's the aching fear of thinking you may be living alone for the rest of your life because a spouse walked out on you and the kids or maybe has recently died. 
Others are feeling the struggle hold these days of a great deal of financial pressure. Maybe that's your deal. Or you're living with a recent physical or health-related concern. The diagnosis recently didn't go well for you or a loved one. It's hard to see Jesus in our pain, isn't it? But the living Christ would call out your name this morning. Hey, Jeff, Jennifer, whatever your name is, look, I'm alive. Your pain is real. I'm not asking you to deny it, but there is no reason to think you've got to face those tough issues all alone. Turn to me, Mary, Jeff, whatever, trust me. So whatever is going on in your life this morning, I think the living Christ has a two-word message for you on this Easter Sunday morning, and that is to look for him in pain. Listen as he calls out your name and hear Jesus say to you, Trust me. You know, such a word of hope and comfort might come to you through a song we've already sung or will sing. Maybe it'll come from a Christian friend who will text you and say, just thinking about you, praying for you, how you doing? However it comes in some way, if you trust Jesus, hope and help will come. That's Jesus' word to you this morning on this Easter Sunday morning. Trust me. Now, there's a second appearance I want to draw to your attention, and this time it's to the disciples. And I've summarized this message with these two words, serve me, serve me. So here's the situation. Ten of the twelve disciples are present. Thomas isn't. We'll meet up with him later on. And, of course, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, has taken his own life, so only ten are there. And here's the situation. They're terrified. This is what it says. On the evening of the first day of the week, so that's Sunday night, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Let's just stop there. They've already been told by Mary that Jesus is alive. Obviously, they're not accepting her word for it. And so the doors are still locked. Does this sound to you like a group that invented a resurrection story? I don't think so. I mean, they're not willing or ready to believe any of this stuff, so the doors are shut and Jesus appears. Now, if you counted the before, you know, eight, nine, ten of us, and now you recount nine, ten, eleven of us, and the doors are still locked, bolted shut, wouldn't this kind of freak you out? I mean, it would me. I mean, what in the world's going on here? Well, it says, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, here's the appearance now, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, for sure, somebody here this morning is going to ask me, how did he do that? So I'm going to give you a profound theological answer. You may want to write this down. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe his molecular structure was changed because he has a resurrected body. You know, whatever the explanation certainly is, the reality is that we're going to have resurrected bodies like his. You say, wow, able to pass through closed doors? Oh my, far better than any of that. Can you imagine having a body that's no longer subjected to pain? Emotional, physical. No more temptation, no more heartache, no more disease. No disability, no death, decay. All of that is gone. 
I mean, isn't that better than passing through doors that are shut? I think so. And the Bible indicates in our new bodies, we're going to see believing loved ones. And better than even that, we're going to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, using the gifts and talents he's given to us to serve him in meaningful work throughout eternity. All right, look at his statements. There are four of them. And what he's doing is giving these disciples a task. He's giving them a mission. Sometimes it's referred to as John's record of the Great Commission. I'm summarizing the two-word message like this, serve me. It's a four-part message. It begins, first of all, with a word of assurance of peace. Look at it. Peace be with you, says Jesus. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They weren't ready for a mission. They had denied Jesus. They had deserted Christ. They needed to be reconciled to him. And so Jesus said, I've done the work to reconcile you. Shows them the scars in his hands and such. To point out it was through his sacrificial death. Reconciliation has occurred. Now you have a peaceful relationship with God. You're ready for the mission. Secondly, he gives them a pattern to follow. Not just a word of peace, but a pattern. Verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So our mission is to be patterned after Jesus' mission, where we come alongside hurting people and enter into their pain. More than a peace and more than a pattern, he gives them a promise of power. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be their source of power. But more than even power, they're given a message. Look at this in 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now let's be clear about something. You and I do not have the authority to forgive people of their sin. Only God can do that. No priest or pastor can forgive sin. But what we can tell people is this. If you entrust your life to Jesus because of his sacrifice for you, whereby we have now can have peace with God, he will forgive you of all of the junk of your life. The guilt and the shame can be gone in just a moment. We can tell people that. Okay, so we announce it to some friend perhaps and somebody says, okay, I believe in Jesus, so am I now totally forgiven? And we go, gee, I'm not sure. I mean, what kind of a pathetic message would that be? No, you can say on the basis of your confession of faith, I can assure you that your sins have been forgiven by God. What a message. Can there be a greater challenge or a greater opportunity or privilege in all the world? I don't think so. Let me explain it like this. I like to read biographies and I have read Walter Isaacson's 630 page biography about Steve Jobs founder of Apple. It's a great story, but at one point, we're told that Jobs realized that the rapid growth of the Apple computer company necessitated that he hire a great leader to be the CEO of the entire company. And so Steve Jobs goes after 
the guy who was at that point the president of Pepsi-Cola, John Scully. As the youngest of all executives throughout the history of Pepsi, Scully at the age of 38 was the one who masterminded the marketing strategy that at least for a time toppled Coke as the number one soft drink company in the entire world, okay? So he's whining and dining John Scully for a period of time. It's not going very well. Takes him up to this apartment overlooking New York City. They can see Central Park and all of the, the, the great landscape there. Still isn't going well. Finally, Steve Jobs looks Scully right in the eye. And he says to him, John, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want a chance to change the world? Wow. I mean, that's all Scully needed to hear. He leaves Pepsi and becomes the CEO of Apple, a position he held for something like 10 years. Like John Scully, you want to make a difference with your life. You want it to count for something. You want to leave a legacy. You want to do something that's going to enrich somebody in this world as a result of your time here on planet Earth. Okay, as great as computers may be, they don't even begin to compare to the privilege of serving Jesus Christ by leading somebody in a personal, eternal relationship with him. Think of it like this. When a guilt-ridden person finds forgiveness and cleansing of the sense of guilt and shame that they're carrying around in their lives, when someone who has an addiction is set free, when a marriage is healed, people are brought back together, or a person without meaning who is depressed and discouraged finds meaning and hope in Jesus Christ. Friends, that is huge. That is huge. And it sets off a chain reaction. So maybe the husband tells his wife, honey, I know I've failed you. This marriage is not what either one of us thought it would be, but I've, I've changed. I've given my life to Jesus. He could restore our marriage. What do you say? Parent says to a, a child, mom, dad, we haven't been doing a very good job here, but things are gonna be different in our home because of Jesus. Or the CEO of a company says, you know what? I've given my life to Christ. Things are gonna be different around here. We're gonna serve customers with integrity. No more deceit in order to increase the bottom line. All of that is gone. Lives are being changed all over the place. And not only that, but the people so changed begin to take that message and actions to even other places. So they go to some country where people can't even read, and what do they do? They establish schools, that's what Christian faith has done wherever it has gone. They go into an area, do you know that Christianity has established more hospitals in our world, in other countries than any other kind of organization? We go in where people are sick or dying, what do we do? We establish hospitals. Where there is a lack of clean water, which in a lot of countries is the number one cause of death, waterborne diseases. What do we do? We go in and we build um, wells to provide people with clean water. Friends, that's the kind of message that Jesus is talking about today. I'm alive. Will you serve me? So who here this morning is ready to say, I'm ready? 
I'll serve. Jesus, with you is my pattern, having made peace. And wow, Jesus, with, with you being the source of power by your spirit, I'm on board with all of this. I'm ready to announce a message through my actions and words about forgiveness and freedom. Friends, that beats selling sugar water any day. Serve me, message to believers. Trust me, is message to those of us who are hurting. One more. It's Jesus' appearance to Thomas. I'll give you the two-word summary shortly, but let's first of all look at the situation. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, that means twin, so he probably had a twin brother or sister. At any rate, this is the disciple who has the nickname Doubting, Doubting Thomas, and I want you to see why. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, he's alive. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So now we come to the appearance. Jesus shows up and looks at Thomas, and I'm sure the other disciples are thinking, uh-oh, this is not going to go well for Thomas. He's in deep weeds. So what does Jesus say? Well, in effect, here's the summary. Touch me, okay? That's your two-word soundbite. Touch me. Not beat it. Drop dead. Get out of here. Get lost. Touch me. And people, those two words summarize what Jesus was saying to these men in a way that transformed their thinking about him. Namely, that he isn't angry or afraid or put off by honest doubt. Oh no. In fact, he warmly welcomes any and all who have questions about him to come, to seek, to ask, to touch, to clear up any doubts or confusion. Boy, I tell you, that's good news, isn't it, for those of you who have come to this service today, maybe with more questions than answers? Maybe today you have more doubt than faith? And I think the resurrected Jesus would have two words for you who are seekers or doubters today, and those words would be, touch me. Come on, deal with your doubts. Don't deny them or bury them or run from them. Go ahead, ask your questions, consider the evidence Read the Bible, look at the facts, listen to those who have given their lives in order to determine if the Christian faith stands up to reason or if it's just a pack of lies. Thomas did. He weighed, weighed the evidence, touched Jesus in an act of loving worship. He says, verse 28, my Lord and my God. So he believed. Okay, so what about you? You know, I think this church is a safe place for you to search out for yourself what really happened on what Christians call Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. How much evidence there really might be to back up the claim that Jesus is God's son and the savior of the world. You ask your questions in this context of this church, you're not gonna be put down or mocked, made to look like you're an idiot. No, no, none of that. So, why not this Easter begin your search? 
And if we can help you, in fact, I want to share with you a way in which we can do that. As you exit the service today, if you're examining Christian claims, why not take one of these ushers? We'll be standing at the doors. Just ask for one. It's entitled Why Easter. It'll help you to, to deal with some of your doubts and questions and explain the whole story further. But if you're ready to say today, you know what, I don't need more evidence. I'm on board. I'm ready to say, Jesus, you're it. I, I, I know I'm broken. I know I need a savior. Then why not drive a nail into all of this, your decision, and say, okay, here's a stake in the ground. Today, I'm affirming my belief in Jesus. Why not start today by maybe praying a prayer of commitment like this? Here it is on the screen. Dear God, Thank you for the ways Easter can make a difference in my life. I believe that the claims of Christ are true and that he died for my sins and is alive today. Forgive me of my past, change me by your power, give me hope for the future. I now receive your gift of eternal life. I turn from my sin and I ask you to be the leader and the Lord of my life from this day forward, amen. By sincerely praying a prayer like that, you today can begin a relationship with God. So friends, there they are. Three two-word sound bites on this Easter 2023. I'm wondering which of these three you most need to hear today. Maybe you most need to hear Jesus say to you, trust me. In all of your brokenness and pain and difficulty, whatever it is that's going on in your life. Jesus says, I'm here for you. Trust me. I'll help you. I'll give you the wisdom. I'll lead you. Whatever is the need. Or maybe you need to hear Jesus say, serve me. You need to spread a message. You want a message that's going to be big and, and challenging for you? Here it is, friends. Will you serve me? Or maybe for others here, it's the message, touch me. Come on, deal with your questions and doubts, honestly. These appearances of Jesus, coupled with the other summary of, of events surrounding Easter, I think give confirmation to the fact that Jesus is very much alive. At the same time, they proclaim for our great encouragement this morning, Jesus can be trusted. Jesus is worthy of being served, and Jesus welcomes all seekers. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, on this Easter Sunday morning, we join together in saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for Easter. And may these lessons from Jesus' resurrection appearances help us to believe and to grow in our faith today, to trust you in our pain, to seek you with our honest doubts, and to serve you by proclaiming the greatest life-changing message. We pray this in the name of our risen Savior, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.